So as John mentioned and as Amber talked about, um, we're starting a new series called Unconditional Forgiveness, looking at the kind of radical forgiveness that Jesus calls us to. Um, It's going to be an interesting series, and I want to say right up front that it's something that you will wrestle with it. Uh, I made a comment this morning that if anyone says, like, no, I do forgiveness great all the time. There's nobody I haven't forgiven. I'm not wrestling with any of that stuff. You're probably not being very honest with yourself because this is something that everybody struggles with. Everybody's faced this. Everybody's gone through it at one point in time or the other. So hopefully this series is going to show us how to follow and learn from God and learn from Jesus' example what that kind of forgiveness looks like. Um, So I'm going to kick off the series by telling a story. Now, normally I'm not a fan of just reading something at length to people. Um, Never been a fan of that. But the book that kind of inspired this series for us, it used stories all the way throughout to describe the points and to illustrate how radical forgiveness um, can be. And there was one story that the first time I read it in the book, I bawled my eyes out for like five minutes. And then I said, Ben, I got to read you this story and read it to my husband and couldn't get through the story without crying. And then read it to my daughter and couldn't get through the story without crying because it felt so impactful to me and just cut right down to the heart of the matter. So I want to share part of that story with you this morning to start things off. Um, So literally just over 75 years ago, on February 28th, 1944, there was a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. Now, she was a Dutch woman, and she and her family were Christians, but they felt very strongly called to help their Jewish neighbors escape the persecution that they were facing as the Nazi regime was rising. Um, They got caught for providing shelter and providing food, so Corrie and her entire family um, were arrested by the Nazis. Corey and her sister, Betsy, were sent to a concentration camp, um, Ravensbrück, in Germany. Uh, Betsy did not survive that ordeal, but Corey did. And at the end, when she came out of the concentration camp and the war was over and she went back to her home, she opened a rehabilitation center. And her goal was to help people who had suffered atrocities during the war to work through what they had been through, to help them deal with it, to help them recover. Um, That was successful, and she ended up actually going back into Germany to do speaking engagements. And she would talk to people who had lived in Germany at the time, the ones that were not persecuted. Maybe they weren't on the offending side, but if nothing else, they were silent and didn't speak out against the persecution. And she was talking to them about what forgiveness looks like. And so she has this story about one particular speaking engagement that she did um, where she was approached at the end by a man who had actually been a guard at Ravensbrook. So this is part of her story. It says, Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrook concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him in the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. 
But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day been forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I knew I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I still stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Forgiveness. It is a really, really tricky word. And I obviously hope that nobody in this room has faced the kind of atrocities that Corey Ten Boom did. But one way or the other, we've all suffered somehow at the hands, the actions, or the words of another person. Sometimes it's somebody who's a stranger. Somebody, it's sometimes an adversary. Sometimes it's somebody that we love. But we've all faced that moment where someone has wronged us, and we have to decide what we're going to do about that. As Christians, we're called to forgive. We know we're supposed to show grace and mercy to those around us. We recognize that we fall short ourselves, and the kind of forgiveness that we want to receive, we want to show to other people. And some of the most well-known Bible verses actually deal with the topic of forgiveness. John 20, 23 says, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Luke eleven four, straight out of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And Luke 23, 34. Jesus, on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We're all supposed to forgive. We know this. It's easy to forgive the person who bumps into us in the store or steps on our foot. It's easy to forgive my daughter when she accidentally spills a drink on the floor. It's easy to forgive my husband 
when he maybe is a little short with me because I know sometime and probably really soon I'm going to be short with him. So I want to be forgiving of him so he's forgiving of me. But forgiveness isn't always that easy. It certainly wasn't for Corey Ten Boom. So where is the line? What do we forgive? And are we ever justified in withholding forgiveness? And how in the world do we forgive someone for more than just a minor infraction? So Corey's story provides a very real-life example, albeit an extreme one, of what radical forgiveness can look like. And stories are great, you know, for illustrating the point and helping us understand something beyond just a theoretical concept. Jesus understood that because Jesus told a lot of stories. They were called parables, and it was his way of illustrating some point that he wanted his followers and the people listening to him to understand about what it meant to follow God, what it meant to live a life that was going to lead to the kingdom of heaven. We're going to look at one of those stories, one of those parables today. It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it gives us a great starting point for this series of understanding what God wants us to think about forgiveness. So it begins in Matthew 18, 21 to 22. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. We know that forgiving someone is hard, but forgiving somebody who wrongs you again and again and again, that's going to get harder. I mean, if we're really honest about it, we carry that baggage. It's hard to forgive someone and put that in the past, and then if they do the same thing again or that same person hurts you again, to not want to pull that baggage into the current situation. I know myself, I'm guilty of this in my uh, marriage. Uh, my husband likes to use the phrase, why you got to bring up old stuff? Because even though we had the fight and I forgave him, I sometimes like to remind him of that thing from a year or two or 20 ago. Um, so it's hard not to bring that baggage forward. It's also easier to let the pain multiply, right? Every time you hurt, even if it's the same kind of hurt, it just gets exponentially bigger and bigger and builds on it. Unless we find a way to experience that real deep, true forgiveness that we're going to learn about. But what's funny is Peter thinks he's being really generous, right? Because he says, I'll forgive someone seven times. I mean, seven times to forgive the same person might sound like a lot, unless you're married. And it definitely doesn't sound like much. But seven times, Peter thinks he's being generous. And Jesus is like, no, no, you're not even close, man. It's 77 times. And some Bible translations actually think that means 70 times 7 times. So 490 times. So I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of hard to achieve, right? 77, let alone 490 times forgiving the same person that keeps hurting you. And it's easy to assume that Jesus is using hyperbole here. Like, surely he doesn't actually mean, like, 490 times. There's, he's probably just using a large number there to illustrate his point to make it known. But what we learn through the rest of that parable is Jesus is absolutely serious when he says you should forgive someone that many times, and probably even more. So we see back in Matthew, in chapter, or verse 23, says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So the servant, who's literally just been released by his master, he's been released, this enormous debt's been cleared, immediately goes out and rather violently finds somebody who owes him something and demands it immediately. This guy has one heck of a short attention span. Now, it's worth noting that when Jesus told parables, it's often as not, and probably it's easy to say most of the time, the parables didn't always have super clear meanings. Even his disciples would often go to him after he would tell a story and be like, they'd leave the crowd, and he'd be like, okay, Jesus, can you tell us what that meant? Because we didn't understand that, and we want to know to be able to teach other people. He wasn't always really clear. There was a lot of metaphor used in there. But this one sounds actually pretty straightforward. You read it and you think, well, that guy's kind of an idiot, right? He was just forgiven, and he can't turn around and forgive somebody else. It's pretty easy to see, too, the comparison that Jesus is working on that God forgives us, so we're supposed to forgive other people. He even says it right up front. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts. And he comes back to it at the close of the parable. So back in verse 31, he says, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now that very last line, sounds like one of those very, very harsh things that we read that makes us a little uncomfortable that maybe we want to skip over. He's just talked about the master taking back his forgiveness and throwing the guy in jail instead to be tortured. And then it says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So it sounds like this threat, right, that Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive other people, God's going to take his forgiveness away from you and you're going to be tortured. But isn't there some truth in that? Not in this mystical sense of God punishing you, but of the fact that God has shown you that forgiveness is how you make your life and your heart full. And if you walk around with unresolved things in your heart, 
and anger and hurt from other people, don't you kind of feel like you're being tortured by that? It doesn't take God from the heavens to inflict punishment on you. It's your own heart that's hurting. And that's why forgiveness isn't something that we can turn away from. Forgiveness is something that we are literally called to do. We have been forgiven. We are designed to forgive because that is how we love. Now, like I said, Jesus' parables aren't always clear. And this one we read and we say, okay, yeah, the servant doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He went out and he turned around and denied somebody forgiveness that he had just received. And, and yeah, it makes sense that we're supposed to forgive others because we're forgiven. And yeah, that all makes sense. So because it's one of the parables that is actually relatively clear, it's one that if you're ever reading in the Bible, it's easy to just read it and move on. Most things in the Bible, you kind of have to stop and go, Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that again because that didn't make sense the first time. But this one has a very easy-to-understand meaning the first time you read it. But if we just move past it, we miss the depth of what's actually happening in this story. The debt that the master canceled is no small amount. It says 10,000 bags of gold, which I don't know about all of you other 80s and 90s babies. I just instantly picture um, Uncle Scrooge from DuckTales dumping in the big giant vault like it's that much gold, just a ton of it. The reality is that one bag of gold would have been equal to 20 years of a laborer's wages. So 10,000 bags of gold. That would be like someone today who makes minimum wage owing someone $3 billion. That. That's not a small debt to be forgiven. We miss that because 10,000 bags of gold isn't something we really deal in our lives. But if we convert that, that's somebody at the low end of the wage scale here in America owing somebody $3 billion. But what's even crazier is that debt that he wouldn't forgive was that same minimum wage employee owing billion dollars. I can't even wrap my mind around that kind of money, and that's what he was forgiven. And it's funny because if you think about it, we know that as Americans, the debt problem is out of control. So many of us are carrying around a huge amount of debt. But $3 billion, he couldn't pay that off. Somebody working minimum wage. I don't care how many hours a day, how many days a week, how many weeks a year you work, you will never be able to pay somebody $3 billion. It's basically the same thing as saying it's an unlimited amount of debt. And that is the exact kind of debt that Jesus paid for us on the cross. We can't even wrap our minds around the enormity of how much we've been forgiven. It is such a high cost. We can't even picture it. But that's what happened. Over the next six weeks, as we lead up to reflecting on the cross, as we think about Good Friday, as we lead up to Easter and celebrating the resurrection, we're going to be looking at this concept of unconditional forgiveness. We'll look at who we forgive, when we forgive, how we forgive. 
because there's a lot of depth here, and I hope that you come back for those weeks. I hope that you listen to the podcast if you're not able to be here, because this series is definitely designed to give you an overall picture. One single week isn't going to give you the answer to how to do this, because it's such a deep conversation. But I want to be very, very clear, and you're going to hear stuff like this repeated in the other weeks too. We're going to talk a lot about what forgiveness is, what it looks like. But I want to stop and tell you things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness isn't forgive and forget. This is not cheap grace. This is not cheap forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean I'm just going to pick up this rug here and sweep the bad stuff underneath it. That doesn't deal with it. That doesn't help anything. And you don't always necessarily need to forget Those two things don't go hand in hand because if you forget, then you would forget all of the lessons that you may have learned from that situation. That situation changed you. So maybe sometimes you don't want to forget. Forgiveness isn't easy. I cannot say this enough. And no matter what we learn about how to forgive, about how God calls us to forgive, the one thing that you have to know is it's not a switch. You can't look at somebody and just say, I forgive you if it's something that's a deep, deep hurt. There's a good chance that you're going to have some baggage with it. And you will hear Ryan say this, and you will hear me say this. Sometimes that means you need outside professional help. You need a counselor to help you walk through that. Jesus may say, forgive each other. We may know that we are called by God to forgive each other, but there is not just no shame, but there is true worth in getting assistance through working through things that you need to in that sort of situation when there's a lot of hurt. I want to be sure that everybody hears that. If you are ever in a situation where you are working for something, Ryan or I can talk to you from a biblical side. We can try and talk you through things, but we are always going to help you find someone who is a licensed professional because sometimes forgiveness has a lot of baggage with it. Finally, what forgiveness is not is allowing other people to take advantage of you. It says we're supposed to forgive 77 or 490 times. Absolutely, 100%. But that doesn't mean that Jesus or God is calling you to put yourself in the path of that hurt 77 or 490 times. You have the right to set boundaries in your life. You have the right to reevaluate toxic relationships. And it is so important that you hear that, that God doesn't just want you to lay down and take whatever life hands at you from the same person over and over again, or from a group of people, or from other people. Set boundaries and be healthy in your life. I know that sounds a little heavy, But I also know that it's really easy when we talk about things like forgiveness that we hear this message no matter what other words come out that says, I'm just supposed to forgive. Yes, you are, but it's not just a switch. So we'll wrestle through those things as we go throughout this series, but I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Here's what forgiveness is. It is a gift to ourselves. Like Corey Ten Boom talked about in her story, she saw in her rehabilitation home what happened when people held on to that. She said they remained invalids. 
she saw that from some of the greatest and deepest hurts. It's a gift to yourself to free yourself up to have healthy relationships with others, to have a healthy relationship with yourself, and a healthy relationship with God. And that helps us achieve another thing forgiveness is. It's what a life following Jesus is supposed to be. It's what a life following Jesus looks like. We know that we're called to love each other. I feel like I'm losing this sucker. The Janet Jackson mic doesn't work really well for me because I wear hearing aids. So, there we go. All right. It's what a life following Jesus is supposed to look like. Because we know that we're supposed to create that kingdom of heaven here on earth. And that's done by loving each other. That's done by helping each other, coming together as a community. And if we deal with those hurts that exist within us, if we know that church is a safe place where we can wrestle with those things, then we're more likely to create that life that Jesus looks like. And finally, it's passing on that gift that God gave to us. It's very clear. We see it, again, in that passage, Luke eleven four. I mean, Lord's Prayer, even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer before. And it's so easy because people repeat it so many times, you don't necessarily stop and think about the words. But it says right in there, forgive us because we are going to forgive other people. It's not a one-way street. It's not just me and God. It's me and God. It's me and other people. It's me and myself. Forgiveness is not an abstract concept. It's not a check-a-box item that we go, yep, I'm supposed to forgive people. It's required, so I'm just going to do that and move on. It's literally the path that frees our hearts from pain, heals our relationships, and allows us to live more fully the life we've been given. And just like all of Jesus' teachings and the life he modeled for us, it allows us to bring the kingdom of heaven into the world around us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we go through so much in life, and some of it is amazing and wonderful, and it's so easy to see your hand in it and to see the blessings that you provide And it's easy to follow you when it's good. And it's easy to follow you when we talk about love. But we know that in the hard stuff, in the pain, in the things that we face, the challenges, the trials, the tribulations, that we have to hold on and follow you through that as well. And it sounds like a lot when we try to apply a concept like forgiveness to our own lives, to the relationships, and to the hurt that we've caused ourselves and the hurt that we've caused one another. But God, help us to follow you even in those moments, even in those trials, no matter what. Let us see your hand in our hearts and in our lives and help us to forgive others. That way we can love each other more fully and more honestly. And in your name we pray. Amen.